Hello and welcome to the Scottish Games Network podcast. My name is Andrew and this week we're speaking to Claire Morwood. Claire is a games designer and an artist based in Dundee and she's one half of Threefold Games. Along with Jella Ramanan, she developed Before I Forget, which is a narrative game about a woman living with dementia that was nominated for a BAFTA uh, in the Beyond Entertainment category. Claire is also a member of the Dundee Experimental Games Community Biome Collective and she's worked with Creative Dundee and InGame in Dundee. Before I Forget was initially released in July 2020, but it was re-released this week for Nintendo Switch and the Xbox consoles, so we thought it would be an ideal time to catch up with Claire and find out all about the work she's doing in Dundee and just her career in general because she's had a really interesting and kind of unique path in the games industry. So please enjoy this conversation with Claire Marwood of Threefold Games. So much for taking the time to talk to me this week, especially when That's all right. <laughs> you have big things happening. <laughs> no problem. So it's two two days now. The console port. Is, yeah, yeah, it's super yeah. soon. <laughs> There's, I don't know, it's fairly busy, but also I think um, because we've got like the publisher this time around and. Um, some like marketing people helping us as well. There's like the work is kind of spread out um, among more people, which relieves the stress a little bit. <laughs> it, in terms of the actual development of the console versions, were, were you doing that like in-house yourself? Yeah, no, the, the publisher that we're working with had a, a third party that was doing the actual development, um, which was nice. So we kind of like came on board a tiny bit just to help with a couple of bugs and things. But um, yeah, primarily it was uh, other people doing it which was quite nice. So how did the, the relationship with the publisher come about? Um, I, I'm trying to remember. I think they approached us initially about it and then, um, it's so long ago now. Yeah, I think we got an email from them sort of saying, is this something you're interested in? Um, and then we just mm. like chatted more to them, um, which was nice because, you know, like the console side of things have been something that we had thought before like oh this would be cool but didn't really know exactly yeah. how to go, go about doing it so that was after all after the the pc version had, had already been released mm, yeah it was like around the same time i think um or like just after um it had been released we kind of started talking to them it must be weird like really sort of releasing a game twice <laughs> yeah I <guess. laughs> yeah i suppose like most games do it all in one um yeah, yeah we, we didn't really have the the budget to allow for that initially well I, i'm i'm glad because it's given given us a, a, a chance to have uh a talk with you because I, I think probably it wasn't on our radar earlier on maybe um so i i guess i, I should probably say what we're, we're talking about actually so we're, we're talking <laughs> yeah. about uh before i forget which is a game that you worked on with shayla romanin right Mm-hmm. And your guy, you guys, the name of the studio is Threefold Studio. Threefold um, Games, yeah. It's, sorry, Threefold Games. Apologies, <laughs> should probably be letting you do that far. Um, but um, she is based down in England, and are you based up here in Scotland? Uh, well, actually, she's currently based in Sweden. Um, so we initially, uh-huh. when we started the company, we were both sort of near Bristol, um, but right. she moved to Sweden like. A year year and a half ago and I moved to 
Dundee about six months ago. Um, so neither of us are in England anymore. Yeah, you moved to Dundee during the pandemic then. Mm, yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, that must have been a situation. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of partly because of the pandemic, to be honest, because we were in, my partner and I were in like a tiny little studio flat and it was getting a bit, you know, just like cramped. So we wanted to try and like move somewhere a bit bigger, but Bristol's pretty expensive. So, um, and then like we knew people here as well. It wasn't just like a random <laughs> chance of um, moving to Dundee, but. Well, I, I'm definitely interested in in digging into those sort of Dundee connections later on. But I, I guess first I should ask about how you and Shella met one another, because I read that you kind of met on a game jam in Bristol. Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we met at game jam. Um, it was the XX plus game jam in Bristol, um, which was for marginalised genders and um so we yeah we hadn't met before that point and we kind of just like made a, a team together um and started like thinking about ideas for the game um the theme was borders so that was sort of like the inspiration behind the um topic of dementia kind of thinking about like borders of the mind rather than um because we had some, some ideas at the game jam around like physical borders and things like that as well um but yeah settled on from like some of the ideas that Shadow had had from um, her kind of like writing ideas notebook. So, so how does that, um, the process of going from the writing and turning that into a game work? So I, I listened to the, about the director's commentary in the in the game and she was saying that, you know, oh, cool. she had some of it written out, like uh, like even to the point of the music will lead the player in this direction or something like that. So how do you go from that process of her having kind of storyboarded it in that way and turning it into a, a world that you're like walking around in? Um, yeah, I mean... So as you say, she the way that she preferred to write in terms of the, yeah the actual like writing itself was in sort of script format. Um, but she did a lot of the like sort of narrative design as well, and then we sort of together worked on the the game design um, of the game. So we would have a lot of conversations around what exactly the game was and how you know like individual rooms would be laid out and how that would sort of interact with the the narrative um, when certain memories would trigger. Um, but I actually found it like pretty helpful working from that script format because she would put a lot of notes in about what was in the rooms, you know, how the environment would be. Um, so it was quite easy. Well, I mean, yeah, like I said, there was a lot of conversation as well around it, but then it was kind of a, a nice thing to, for me to be able to like read through and be like okay so this room's got this in it and then this needs to happen at this time and start planning it out like that is, is there was there anything in that uh sort of situation where when you have the script and the, uh, the idea and it meets the reality of like trying to make that into something that you end up having to sort of change things or compromise or stuff like that i i, I remember you mentioning about doors being a problem <laughs> in the director's commentary for instance mm -hmm. yeah i think there's a lot of things that you can you know you can sort of and if you're writing a book, for example, you could write them and you wouldn't need to necessarily think about how the like details of mechanically how that's going to work. But then, yeah, like you say, translating it into a game, there's just all these awkward bits that you have to think about. Like with doors, it's like, does the player like 
actively have to push the door? Is it just like they click on it and then it opens? Does it open both ways? What for a while we had it kind of like a saloon bar door in a lot of places where um, just to make it easier in terms of like the door not clicking into the camera, for example, um, you'd be able to open it both ways. But then the problem we had there was <clears throat> the main corridor in the game is quite small and if you end up like opening all the doors into the corridor, you end up kind of weaving in and out of them. So it's just like, yeah, lots lots of little uh, frustrating <laughs> things like that that we had to iron out. Um, but I mean, it was, yeah, it was fun as well as frustrating trying to um, make what she'd written kind of come alive. <laughs> For sure. And um, was there any kind of games in that sort of genre you were looking at as a sort of kind of template or touchstone or something to help you make those decisions? Yeah. Um, so like games from that, genre that we were particularly inspired by um I, I think at the time like Gone Home was a really big inspiration in terms of the level design um and that sort of narrative exploration style um I remember they there's an amazing GDC talk um that's about all about the level design of Gone Home and I remember just like studying that <laughs> trying to um get get tips on um how to do that kind of level design really well mm-hmm. um and then uh what remains of edith finch was another really big inspiration in terms of the sort of like narrative design and um the the sorts of techniques that they use in that obviously it's a bit more kind of abstracted i suppose in that game than in in before i forget with the um all the different like scenes that you can go into mm-hmm. um and actually Virginia as well, that game was really inspirational in the sort of like the cinematic techniques that he uses. Like the there's a lot of things like jump cuts that they do in that that um we we took inspiration from. Yeah, for sure. I can see that between the the kind of warping of reality sort of thing from Edith Finch and then also the yeah, those those the time time cutting sort of thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, totally. I I hadn't put those two and two together, but that makes sense. Um, well, speaking about the kind of level design aspect of it, had you done that kind of like first person narrative sort of game before? Um, had you worked in that sort of space before or was that your first time kind of in that kind of space, I guess? Yeah, it was my first 3D game that I'd worked on. Um, I mean, I've been like interested in kind of spatial storytelling I guess Mm. um but yeah it was like primarily thinking about it in in terms of like 2D games and just I guess using the mechanics of movement to tie in with the the narrative um but yeah it was definitely uh I don't know really fun to like learn as we went along about the the level design part of things um luckily there are like lots of I mean yeah the the GDC talks I've watched is like where I learned a lot of my game design knowledge to be honest <laughs> mm. um there's a lot of really cool stuff out there yeah well I, I just wondered like if there's anything like obviously you've, you've done like lots of work with um bitsy and then like you know hundreds of like game jam projects mm. and stuff like that it seems like and like kind of what principles kind of stay the same from those kind of like like a 2d thing and like what is completely new when you're in that sort of environment ah yeah i guess um something i think about a lot, I guess, is like pacing um, in terms of 
I guess pacing in terms of like the the layout of um, a scene and what you're going to interact with at what point. I mean, with a lot of my Bitsy games, they are fairly linear in a sense, where mm. so you can kind of have a certain amount of control over where the you expect the player is going to go um, and the kind of pathway they're going to take. And I guess to an extent, before I forget, is is like a little linear in that sense too. And you, it's it's like there's some choice over where you're going to go, but there's like a fairly predictable path in terms of what the player is going to see, for example, after they've like interacted with an object or um, wh- which area they might go to next. And something we did for that, which I've done little bitsy games as well, is to kind of like map out a rough player pathway um, in terms of the kind of emotional response. So um, thinking about, I guess, the intensity and the, um, you know, how like happy or sad or um, any other emotion that the player might be at any point in the game and trying to, and then I guess that comes to what, back to what I was saying about pacing and trying to kind of like space that out so that it's um, tells the, the like emotional side of it tells a story throughout the pathway of the game. Mm-hmm. that makes any sense <laughs> yeah no absolutely I, I mean it's a part that i'm really interested in as well because i mean for, for me anyway like the game was like hugely emotionally affecting right and the pacing i guess is a huge part of that um because mm-hmm. you have to buy into the relationship and everything like in such a short i mean the game is you can play it in like an hour or something so mm-hmm. you've you, you, like the pacing is so important and i wondered like from like a play testing aspect like how how does that go like if you're trying to gauge like strangers <laughs> emotional reactions to things and then i guess strangers having to be vulnerable as well like in a situation like that uh it sounds yeah i'm fascinated by that um yeah like one thing is it's i guess hard if you're playtesting like just a small section of the game because you're not going to get that full impact of the length of it um and so for a long time, we, with Before I Forget, we were just play testing um, our demo of the game, which is sort of the first 10 minutes, I'd say, of the game. Um, so yeah, if you played it, it's like up until the end of the uh, section where she's trying to find the bathroom, um, which is good because actually that, that part of the game was one of the ones that required the most testing to get right um, and make sure that it was like the right balance of... Um, frustration and kind of like motivation of the player to keep going rather than just kind of get like confused and give up um but I think because there was like particular like particular emotional risks that we knew we wanted from that particular scene and from like other scenes in the game as well you kind of can test some of those in isolation um but we certainly did like tests as well with people who play the game as a whole, um, which would end up being quite different from the tests when we um, just watch people play for like a few minutes of it. Yeah, it's such a like I'd imagine it's like a lot of fine tuning for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, speaking about uh, emotional reactions, though, so uh, before I forget, was nominated for BAFTA for uh, Games Beyond uh, Entertainment. So I was wondering, uh-huh. kind of what it's like to be nominated for a BAFTA because uh, you know most people in this <laughs> podcast won't have had that experience so yeah yeah it's incredible um just I mean like yeah we're just just amazing really like especially because you know the games we were alongside were just like these huge you know like Animal Crossing and games like that that 
um it's just like an honor to be <laughs> alongside games like that really um and really I don't know nice to see that there was like a tiny game like ours in that category as well but mm. yeah it was just I mean it took me like I think it's just about sunk in now but it definitely took several weeks for it to <laughs> feel real yeah for sure well and, and I imagine that that, that that um that kind of audience and notoriety and things are only going to increase with this new console version as well you would, you would think also mm. um okay well I, um I suppose I should uh jump on to the kind of uh, local local aspect of, of the conversation, what with this being the Scottish Games Network. So I first came across you last year through the Biome Collective when you were doing the, the Bitsy workshop. So um, I'm wondering how I saw on your website that you'd done like a, a talk at Arcadia in maybe the two years ago or something like that. Um, so how, how did you end up coming to Dundee and making connections here and end up moving here? <laughs> um, I mean, I guess, so the first, time I remember I was at a so there's a games festival called Feral Vector um which happens in Hebden Bridge uh which is fantastic sadly obviously not been on for the last couple of years but um I I used to go to that well I went to it a few times and I think the first time I was aware of Biome I saw a talk by Malabath um one of the um founders directors at Biome um he was talking about it and then um I also met a few people from Dundee there as well. Um, one of whom is now my husband, which is like partly why <laughs> I am in Dundee. Um, so I guess it's like kind of meeting those people and then visiting Dundee a lot to see um, to see him and just kind of discovering the scene here. Um, yeah, because I lived in Bristol before that and where I was involved in the um, local game scene there as well which is like a super super supportive scene and there's lots of like independent games um companies there as well um but what i like about i think the dundee community is because it's a smaller city um it feels like a bit more connected with sort of between the like arts and technology sectors and that kind of thing um and it feels i don't know i really enjoy the like atmosphere of all the events that happen like you say Arcadia and um Neon in particular ones that I've been to a few times and um yeah all the stuff that like Creative Dundee does I think is is really cool so yeah I guess I kind of got involved with Biome just kind of by getting to know the people from when I visited and seeing the work that they did and then yeah as I said uh, a few months ago we were looking to move away from Bristol to somewhere a bit more like affordable and Dundee seemed like a really good option in terms of the the game scene and um, just being somewhere a bit more quiet <laughs> than busy. In terms of what you're doing at, at Biome, I know there's like a degree of like people working on their own projects and people collaborating on projects and, and things like that. So, so what, what kind of, I guess, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like Biome is this kind of black box that lots of really interesting things comes out of. <laughs> but how that kind of works as a cooperative thing uh, is maybe a bit unclear. So it'd be really cool to know more about that. Yeah, it's it's really, I guess there's a few, it's like individuals and sort of small companies, freelancers that um, are all kind of within this network. Um, 
And so there's, you know, biome itself in terms of the projects they produce tend to be sort of like a couple of core people, but then they'll collaborate with other people within the network as well um, when they need additional um, people on those projects. But it's, I don't know, it's a really nice space for, I guess, I was going to say networking, but that sounds so businessy, but I guess it's people like (laughs) communicating about what they're working on um, and sharing opportunities with each other. Uh, One thing that has been really nice in lockdown times is we've started having, well, it used to be in person, um, but these sort of sharing sessions where we'll have a group call and then um, people can just kind of screen share and show what they've been working on, which has been like, I don't know, it's every week that happens. It's something I always look forward to. Yeah, and it's really like we've had a few few new people join recently as well. who have all been like amazing and joined in with the those like sharing sessions as well for sure yeah it sounds really cool um what what are you sharing during those sessions what are you working on just now um i i've got this personal project that i've been working on which is kind of like an interactive music album i guess um which is Mm. it's been fun because i have been learning how to like do digital music stuff which I had no idea about a few months ago so it's been kind of a nice um project for me to just experiment a bit with which is cool for sure did, did the interest in, in the kind of digital music thing come out of working on before I forget I just because I guess the music is such a is woven into that game in such a significant way <laughs> I guess uh I guess in some ways yeah I mean there's a, a sequence in Before I Forget that definitely got me thinking about a lot of this stuff, which is the end kind of hallway sequence where you're walking down this hallway with lots of kind of red lights and newspapers. Um, and then at certain points that correlate with changes in the music track, you'll be have these like jump cuts and you'll move to different areas of this corridor that increasingly gets more and more complex and confusing and that was sort of it was a really fun time of development and before I forget and there was a bunch of us you know me and Shella um and also Dave the composer and Jake the um audio programmer and designer was we would all kind of have these conversations about how that section was going to work um and I think it, it turned out really well um the way that we well I think <laughs> at least it seems to turn out pretty effectively <laughs> Yeah, I guess these like um, ways of interacting in terms of like your movement and the environment with a piece of music. And mm. I'd made a game before for the meditations project that happened a couple of years ago. Is that the autumn light one? Yeah, it was actually. Oh, you've seen it. <laughs> yeah, I had a look at it. It's really cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, which I guess that was a similar thing as well. It's just one um piece of music that I found and then you're just walking in this straight line down a street and you can change some parameters of the environment um so yeah I guess it's been something that's been in my head for a while um of like how you can I guess kind of like a yeah interactive music video almost in cool experiment yeah it's, it's something that really interests me as well is, is there any particular uh, games or, or I guess interactive experiences like that that you've really enjoyed that meld the music and the sort of interactiveness together and uh, like that I suppose. Yeah I played 
Sayonara Wild Hearts recently, um, which I thought did that really well. Um, I guess it's a little more on the kind of gamey side of it, um, more so than I'm necessarily going, but I think, and it's sort of like on the border of like rhythm game, I guess, which is, I don't know, it's, in, it's interesting thinking about how music can be used in games and how they're, because there's quite a lot of these sort of rhythm style, you know, like um, Crypt of the Necrodancer and games like that as well. One game that I played that was more, I guess, less, less like that is called Teenage Blob. Yeah, that's sort of, I guess, like a playable punk album. Um, by Team Laserbeam. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, where things are kind of in time with the music, but it's it's more like sections of the game are kind of representing sections of the song. So there's like a skateboarding level and um, that will like different morph into this sort of different areas of the game that you're skateboarding in, depending on where you are in the song and, and that kind of thing, which is cool. That's like um, <laughs> it's like Beyonce's Lemonade, but again rather than a film like <laughs> it's like choreographed yeah. sequences for a song. that's so cool um yeah okay well i'm in which case i'm definitely looking forward to seeing that project come to fruition then absolutely Thank that you. sounds great um so I, I guess i'd like to speak a bit about i mean going through your website and kind of your history and stuff like you've done like so much and like a big wide range of stuff so um i want to talk a bit about that if if it's all right uh, and I, I guess one of them was that you you uh, did a degree in geology. <laughs> I heard, <laughs> right? So how do you go from how do you go from geology to to doing what you're doing now? How what was that kind of path like? <laughs> well, I suppose games have been something that, like, since I was a, a kid, really I've been really interested in like making games. You know, when I was little, I used to make um board games kind of based off things I was playing at the time and then when I was a little older I got hold of um game maker for making little digital games as well um but it was never really something that I pursued academically um just because I think I thought oh science is like a good thing to do people do science um I don't know <laughs> so yeah, exactly. and I know I mean I love geology like and especially because I did my master's in paleontology as well um which is why I moved to Bristol in the first place uh and I mean that was just because of an, an, an interest really in like I guess it's sort of an interest in like systems and how I mean because geology is I suppose like all about these huge interlinking systems in the earth and mm. especially like paleontology it's a lot of thinking about how those systems change over time um which i find really interesting and also just like getting to see all these like weird monsters from the past <laughs> it's very cool but i struggled to find a, i don't know i guess i struggled to find work afterwards um like i considered PhDs and sort of museum work and stuff like that for a while uh, but didn't really find um, I don't know yeah I spent a while trying to find something but but didn't really and then at the same time I was still doing games related stuff as a hobby and working with friends um, who could code because at the time I I didn't code and so I would do like mm -hmm. artwork for games in, in game jams and then uh, yeah I had like just sort of taught myself to code using online resources for a little while and eventually kind of transitioned into the tech industry and later on was able to make 
um, games, my full-time um, occupation, which was, yeah, so it's been like yeah. a bit of a weird path, I suppose, of just sort of following, I don't know, seeing what happens along the way, really. For, for sure. What was the what was the role that you moved into in, in tech? Uh, it was sort of an SQL development job. Um, so, yeah, lots of databases, uh, which, yeah, was like, I learned a lot, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've heard, I've heard quite a few people kind of talking about transitioning specifically from doing like database stuff into into games so it seems like that there's, okay. some, there's some connection there would you say that you were, you were doing the kind of art stuff first and then and then kind of development stuff after and now they're kind of mixed together mm-hmm. um yeah I I mean I, I did try and start to code when I was like 10 or so I just like you know some really basic stuff um but then I sort of got out mm. the habit of it um and I think told myself somewhere along the line that I, I don't know, coding wasn't really something I could do for some reason. But uh, yeah, no, I'm glad I did get back into it. When was the, what was the kind of point that you reached, the kind of turning point where you were like, from, from you know, having made all these projects and collaborating with people and teaching yourself, when, when did you reach that point where you were like, I, I, actually, I can do this. Like, I, I'm, I'm a game developer now. Like... In, in a professional mean, capacity, I guess. Because <laughs> I okay, you mean in terms of like yeah, as a sort of full time. Um, yeah, I I'm trying to remember. Um, but I think I had started taking on some like small amounts of freelance work alongside my main job. Um, and I think I guess having n- knowing that I was able to get some kind of income from it definitely helped in terms of feeling confident to make that transition um into trying to do it as a full-time um career I suppose so it was quite it was gradual rather than a sudden um transition well I think it's something that definitely a lot of people are interested in because you know there's lots of people that are graduating in like games stuff or or I, I guess are also doing coding stuff and making their own projects and although they're like the industry is growing and it's had a really good year there's obviously like far more people doing that than there are jobs so like being able to do it on your own and make it sustainable and stuff like that is is like really important and i imagine there's lots of people that are kind of so i mean i I suppose that's what you've done uh you until i've done with threefold as well as as kind of established your own thing so how do you go about making that work in terms of logistics in terms of funding in terms of stuff like that yeah I I guess it depends on what your goals are with it um and how sustainable you need it to be because free fold games for us isn't like isn't a a money maker (laughs) if you know what I mean it's not like the thing that's (laughs) driving our our income it's it was always before I forget it was always a passion project um and it was kind of always a thing Mm -hmm. of like if you know if a few people buy this game great um but we're not going to rely on it into we know we didn't really have like a business model that was like we need to make profit on this game in order to fund the next one um which obviously for Mm. um you know we're in i think the fact that we had other jobs um alongside it made that possible if that had been we tried to make that our primary um source of income i think we probably would have had to go about it in a very different way and try and get you know try and get funding earlier on um and possibly even change i don't know i don't want to say this but possibly even change like the type of game we're making just we we had a lot of issues with trying to get funding for that game um Mm -hmm. yeah 
I mean, maybe this is a difficult question, but do you think, like, obviously it's like a hugely important game. I mean, like, I, I can say that from, from my perspective. And also, I mean, obviously it was like a nominated for a BAFTA as well, and you've got all of the, this positive press coverage in the trailer. And do you think it would be possible to make that kind of thing in a business-led environment? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure it would be. Well, I'd like to think it would be. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we spent a while, quite a while, trying to different funding routes and um, weren't successful. And we tried sort of pitching to publishers who often the feedback was that it's not wasn't the sort of game that they would be able to take on um, for various reasons. Um, you know, some people told us that the game wasn't long enough, for example. Um, so for a while, we ended up trying to make it longer to fit with that, but then sort of realised that actually the game probably wouldn't be as good if it, you know, I think it's the sort of game that you don't really want to be playing that for more than an hour, I don't think. I think it would lose a lot of the mm. impact that it has. I don't know. I, I think there are more funds available these days and more people that are trying to provide opportunities for games that are less sort of commercially focused. So I would hope that as time goes on, that sort of thing is more possible. And I think it's just yeah. easier to find out about those sorts of opportunities now than even a few years ago. For sure. Well, and hopefully as well, like the fact that, that you you made this game and other people are making similar things and they're proving that the, the people are interested and there is an audience. You would hope that that would at least open the door at some level. <laughs> so I, I would also like to talk a little bit about the stuff you've done with Bitsy and kind of your uh, sort of education type stuff you've done with that and then the other the various other education type things that you're involved in as well. And um, so could you could you explain a bit about uh, kind of your background with Bitsy and how that came about? Sure. Um, yeah, I think the first time I was aware of Bitsy um, was just it kind of cropping up on my Twitter feed. And there was suddenly like sometime in like 2017, I think there were all these games that started appearing that all had this really like similar style. And I was like, oh, that's strange. There's like a lot of people making pixel art games at the moment. Um, <laughs> and I didn't realize they were all made in the same editor. And but then I, you know, I clicked through to a few and saw that they were part of this Bitsy game jam and looked into that further and saw that there was this editor that people were obviously all using to make games for this jam and I just was really intrigued about it and all the games had this sort of like I don't know felt really sort of mysterious I think there's something about the art style that Bitsy creates and the sort of I don't know yeah the ab abstracted sort of like minimal style of it um, I find, yeah, like mysterious, definitely, I guess is the word. Um, yeah, I agree. I totally mm -hmm. agree. So I, yeah, I followed it and I signed up to do the game jam the following month and spent a while. So I think the theme for that one was um, the phrase a secret. And so I was trying to think like what I could do with that and made uh, this game called Cats Out of the Bag, which uh, is probably still like my longest bitsy game that I've made. But I definitely found I'd had all these issues before with making games where my ideas, which I think is really, really common for people, well, people that are new to making games, but also people that have been making games 
for a long time. It's just like a, a general issue of like scope management where you have these really big ideas and then you try and come to make it and it just gets a bit out of hand and then you keep like adding features and at least for me, I <laughs> found that I would just never actually, I had like a lot of half finished games that I hadn't finished. Um, but with Bitsy, I found that I was able to actually like plan something and finish it and have this game, which was quite a refreshing experience and also not have loads of technical issues, like with larger games engines where, you know, there's always bugs that you have to fix that end up, you end up having to do workarounds um, that deviate you more from what your original, I don't know, just it takes you out of that sort of state of creativity where you have to then like shift to thinking about how to fix something technical, um, which I suppose is just a different way of working, but it was quite refreshing in Bitsy to just be able to make things and for it to work and to build on that and never really leave that creative state. Mm -hmm. So I really, I mean, I just loved it. And I liked the community around it as well. You know, I made this game and posted it and people would comment and be really nice about it. And I could see other people's games. And it just all felt super positive and like a really nice way of creating games. So I, yeah, I just sort of stayed <laughs> involved in it. And yeah, yeah. well, you, you ended up making what sort of like the canonical Bitsy tutorial now, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was... It was kind of just like a random thing that that happened really because it I yeah I got started following lots of people in the sort of bitsy community on Twitter and um I remember someone on Twitter just sort of saying oh it'd be good if there was a tutorial um for bitsy and I just thought oh well maybe I'll see if I can make one and post it and I mean that's sort of it that's like how it um started but I think uh, I mean, what was nice about it is because I was and still am so enthusiastic about Bitsy in the way I think maybe that like came across quite a lot in the tutorial. And so it's quite a sort of enthusiastic <laughs> style of tutorial. Yeah. Um, and I ended up making. So I had to create a new game in order to take screenshots for the tutorial. But then in doing so, I ended up sort of just like typing little bits of narrative in it that was just all about why I liked Bitsy. So then I ended up having this game alongside it, which was just like, uh, yeah, why I love Bitsy game. <laughs> well, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's through that tutorial and through that, um, through the workshop you did with um, Biom Collective and uh, Endgame that I ended up making a Bitsy game, my first and only game I've ever made. Um, so yeah. I really enjoyed it. But I was wondering if, uh, like through doing those workshops and taking people through it like if there's things that you've learned from people that have like never made games before and then are bringing something or like weird things that you've come across through people that are like coming at it fresh I suppose yeah I people make amazing things in Bitsy is like the main I think it's just because it's this tool that's so there's so few sort of prerequisites to using it like you don't need to code you don't need to be like an amazing artist you just need um some time and a web like connection um it's it's amazing seeing the things that people create and I think that they just kind of go a bit wild with it in a really positive way 
but also people I think because Bitsy's so it's like really limited in a way that means that you get to know sort of most of what there is to know about Bitsy quite quickly um, and you know you learn about what the those sort of boundaries and limitations of the tool are and I think once people know what they are they they still have all these ideas about things they want to put into the game um, but they end up finding kind of really unique workarounds of how to get those features in mm. um, so I think it it makes people approach it in quite a like experimental creative way um, just game making in general which is always amazing to see uh it seems like workarounds are like such a a big part of uh game development like again again i remember from the director's commentary on before before i forget there was a part where you were talking about how to make the music uh follow the player it being kind of attached to an object that was like oh, then on rails and then being led through rooms slightly in front of you like how how much of of uh game development would you say is is like kind of hacking your own solutions to to weird problems i guess uh i mean i don't want to say 100 percent, but like <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> yeah i guess that's the fun of it really is that i want to do this thing how do i do it and sometimes you'll find specific ways that the the engine has already uh has available for you to do things or there's like plugins you can get um but you know a lot of time there's just like an infinite amount of solutions to a way that you can do something and that's going to be what you choose is probably going to be based on I guess previous experience or the particular way that your brain works in problem solving um so it's like yeah I love hearing about the different ways that people um approach game development I think especially especially people that are new to it because they're going to have so many different ideas about how to approach a problem um that i don't know whether or not it's like the most efficient way but i don't know if that matters <laughs> <laughs> no for sure um well i mean and sp- speaking on, on people kind of approaching it new so you you're also part of this organization code coven as mm. well um can you tell us a bit about code coven <laughs> code coven yeah um so i was a um program instructor for their introduction to game making course which just finished um at the end of last week actually so that was an eight week course um that they ran last year as well um but uh yeah so I had a a class of um 13 students who had largely kind of some of them had like a little bit of coding experience but most of them were new to coding new to game development um and that was amazing it's uh yeah it was just like a really lovely class and really lovely like teaching staff that I was working with and so we went through kind of the basics of unity and um by the end of it they were all um making games like on by themselves and with um other members of the class as well and then sort of learning about the games industry as a whole as well nice well on that kind of holistic approach like learning the, the different parts and things like that what what ad- advice would you so you're someone that's that basically uh, was doing something different and then 
kind of had it in the background as a hobby and then has turned that into into what you're doing so what what advice would you give to somebody in a similar position thinking like I don't know if I can make games like how to do this <laughs> like uh you know kind of what resources to go for like what to learn who to talk to that kind of thing uh I would definitely start by I mean I think everyone can make games um you know so long as well I say everyone I shouldn't say everyone but like as long as you have access to a computer, access to um, the internet, things like that, then um, it's it's definitely like possible to teach yourself, get connected to the games industry and that kind of thing. Um, But I, I guess my advice would be to have a look at um, taking part in a game jam. um, If there's, well, my advice prior to that, actually, because that involves sort of I suppose, yeah my my initial advice would be to see if there is um any kind of game development community in your area um and if there isn't is there something kind of online or in um an area that's you know like nearby and connect to that in whatever way works for that community so if it's sort of online on if they've got a facebook or a twitter or you know other social media or if you're eventually able to go there in person um because at least in my experience a lot of game like game development communities are like open to new people joining open to sharing information about what they're creating and like play testing each other's games and that kind of thing and yeah from from there I guess I would say that taking part in game jams is something that can be really fun and even if you've never made a game before something like a tool like Bitsy or um, for example Twine is another really good one where you don't need to um, code but you can just make sort of branching dialogue stories Um, and there's other tools around other small free tools that you can use if you're still sort of getting started with coding or if coding is not something you necessarily want to get into. Um, and you know most game jams as well are free and you can sign up to them and it doesn't matter if you make something finished you can just like post whatever you've done and yeah. see what other people have been working on yeah I guess like get get connected to other game developers even if it's just following people on social media um seeing what events are happening and making something small even if it's um just like a sort of a game design more than anything or if it's using small tools like bitsy for, for for game jams um do you think there's like a basic level of something you should be able to like for, for example like I, i've i've been along to game jams before and just kind of nosied about and stuff like that mm-hmm. i've signed up to them and i've always thought like oh i'd really like to take part in one of these but you know i don't i'm not an artist like i don't have any kind of programming skills uh not everyone needs a musician and there are better musicians than me so like if, if, if you're someone that's kind of in that position, like what would be a good kind of like basic level of, uh, I guess, input to be able to bring to something, <laughs> right? Like uh, what would it be good to know to, to like, I don't know. Do you get what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, one thing I'd say is that I, I think, I mean, I've been talking about digital games, but I think, you know, there's also board games, physical games, kind of like, you know, folk games and, and that kind of thing that, um, I don't know, I guess game jams probably have their own rules about what is like eligible for that particular jam, but I don't think personally, don't think, I think 
um, making like a physical board game or something for a game jam is um, really cool. Uh, and I suppose there's elements of that that tie into all sorts of game making, just game design in general, and thinking about, especially with board games, like the sort of social mechanics of how the game works and the like, sort of rule set of the game and how all the elements interact with each other. So I suppose kind of concepting and game design is always something that's really beneficial with within game jams. Um, so perhaps sort of reading up or watching videos online about game uh, basics of game design is a really good place to start. For sure. Um, mentioning about different types of, of, of games there, um, I saw on your site you had a, a few things listed as flat games. Ooh. What is a flat game? <laughs> oh, uh, a flat game is, it was a um, kind of genre of games, uh, I think, coined by Laura McGee a few years ago who um created um she set up a game jam called the black jam which has been running every year since then i think and a flat game is generally a game that has sort of limited interaction in terms of mostly it's just movement through uh, an environment like normally a 2d environment but i don't know if it like has to be 2d um and in terms of that, there's sort of not really much else in terms of interaction. So kind of like a, an interactive collage, I suppose. Ah, I see. Um, um, yeah. Is there any examples that you have that uh, we can play anywhere? Of my games or of Yeah, yeah. Games? Well, I mean, of, of yours, but I mean, uh, it could be someone else's if you want, but <laughs> of yours for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, in terms of other ones, I would definitely recommend looking up the, um, the flat jams. So... On, they've been hosted on itch.io. I think if I type in Flat Jam 2017, which I think was the first one into Google, it comes up with the, the link where you can play the games that people submitted to that. Um, and uh, with my ones, my favourite flat game that I've made is called This System, um, which I made on this. Uh, it's like a, a flat game making tool. <laughs> by um, Mark Wanacott called um, Flatpak. And it's like an Android-based tool where you can take photographs of things like drawings or just things in the world and then kind of crop out the bits you want to keep and then sort of so stick them together to make this collage. So you're just sort of building up this world that you can walk through. Sure. Uh, but So with that one, I... Uh, took lots of photographs of stuff outside and I um, wrote lots of words kind of in the environment by like putting stones together and or sticks or like seaweed or something because I was at the beach and then made this I guess it's like a poem almost that you can move through and you can go lots of different directions and sort of have different um, ways of reading for it. Yeah, that sounds really cool. I will check out. I'll check out. I'll put some links as well in in the bottom there, so people can follow the stuff through. Um, I have to say, as uh, uh, someone preparing for an interview, uh, your website was an enormously helpful resource. Like, oh, um, like you have such a meticulous list of like between projects you finished and even just like some ideas you had and stuff like that. Um, is it important to you to like kind of catalog that stuff that way? Uh, yeah. Otherwise, I forget all the things. 
so it's kind of just for my benefit more than anything so that I have like a record um and I can just kind of go for it and be like oh yeah I did this thing um because uh I don't know I feel like even there's like quite a lot of game jams and um little projects that I started that I don't want to just get lost in the depths of my hard drive so mm. it's quite nice to have a space for them I mean I haven't really finished updating my website yet as you might have seen there's like a lot of entries that just have like a short sentence that I'm one day gonna fill in <laughs> with more details yeah. but at least it's a start and it I can go back to it at some point and put in more details I was disappointed that I couldn't see the manga drawing experiments like right at the very start. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, always like seeing oh, people's like, very earliest stuff. That's <laughs> <laughs> some good stuff. Huh? <laughs> um, is there, I, I guess there's a last, last kind of last question because I've had you on for nearly an hour here. Is there any of, the, of those things that you'd like to return to sometime or kind of see through a little bit further or something like that? Yeah, I there's this game that I made with my partner, which is, um, I think it's called Mycorrhiza. And there's a video on my website that sort of shows how it works. But uh, so I was inspired by learning about mycorrhizal networks um, under the ground where trees and fungi are connected um, and sort of transfer nutrients and um, energy and stuff to each other. And also, it's it's so cool. Like I mean, it's like, and then they they you know they transfer sort of various like chemicals to each other, which then can help them sort of respond to the environment. So there's it's just like enormous network underneath trees, underneath forests, um, that connects everything together. And uh, it's something that I've tried to make, or like I guess made sort of little prototypes of things a few times. Um, to just like think about that subject and experiment with it a bit more. But this this one that we made was gonna be this sort of cooperative hidden information game where you have to, one of you's like <clears throat> a tree and one of you's um, a mushroom. And then you have to like swap lines on a train track, um, sort of create pathways for these uh, like nutrients and chemicals to come to you, like to trans transfer between each other. But there's different colours of pathways, and you are wearing like one half of sort of the red, blue, 3D glasses, which means, although it's oh, cool. this more like cyan yellow, I think, because that's the colours that worked. Um, so when you wear these, like for example, the cyan glasses, then you don't see um, the other person's pathways because of the, the colors we set up so you kind of have this hidden information that's only hidden when you're wearing the glasses um and then through that you have to sort of work together just by communicating out loud about what pathways yeah. need to change so that's fun that's so i mean cool. it's, <laughs> it, it doesn't work perfectly but it's like a really fun idea in terms of how you can um have like hidden information on the same screen yeah uh, the, the the concept as well i think i'd i'd read something about that before about how you know like if if there's like a an infection or a poison or something in a forest that like the other half of it can like adapt yeah. based on the, uh -huh. the the information traveling through I, I, it really ties in well what you were saying earlier about geology and systems and, and the kind of parallels and things there it's perfect uh, uh -huh. wrapping everything up really nicely <laughs>
So I appreciate that. Definitely, if you're interested, look up um, Suzanne Simard's work because she's like an expert on um, mycorrhizal networks and she's got some TED Talks, which are fantastic. Amazing. Okay, I'll add that in as well. Yeah, we're, we're getting loads of really valuable <laughs> stuff here. Thank you very much. Um, okay, I, I think, yeah, I think that's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for, for, for that. Um, I should probably reiterate that uh before i forget is it's out at the time of recording in, in two days yes yeah, so before i forget is now on um nintendo switch and xbox one and xbox series x perfect okay thank you very much i really appreciate it <laughs>Thanks very much to Claire for joining us. Uh, you can follow Claire on Twitter at ShimmerWitch and you can also find Threefold Games on Twitter at Threefold Games. You can find links uh, to the games and other things that Claire mentioned in the show notes to this podcast and also on our website at scottishgames.net. If you have any feedback, if you have any suggestions for guests you'd like to hear from, if you'd like to be a guest yourself, uh, any of those, please get in touch. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Scottish Games or um, you can also find the Contact Us page on the website at scottishgames.net and there's a form there that will send your email straight to Brian's inbox. For now though, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.